Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 113 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, oddly feel kind of rushed coming to the show tonight. A little bit, yeah. It was, it was odd. Like, we we had time, and yet I still feel rushed. <laughs> well, we, I, I, we, we were just enjoying a good conversation. We were, we were kind of pre-gaming the discussion a little bit, so... Uh, uh, which always helps. Which it always, always does help. Um, yeah. Uh, but, uh, no, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's... It's been a week all over the place. It's been, it's been a little bit busy, a little hectic. But we got um, a little holiday coming up. A little holiday. You've got some time off. Uh, I've got uh, I've got the I've got next week off. Um, typically, Sean and I would be going up north, right? Um, right. But uh, we're we're not doing that because of COVID concerns and such like that. So yeah, I mean, it's it, I'm sure everybody's going to be going crazy. Like I I know around here, gas is starting to get hard to find. Mm-hmm. So uh, there there's that. I know for me, going the idea of going out of town this weekend seems a little silly just because of everything else going on. But I have my game I'm running, so I'm happy to have that yeah i'm excited so. for your game uh getting some minis painted up for it yeah uh we we are kind of coming to the close of one of the 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 bits of story you guys are going to be uh kind of wrapping up the orc story with it, this a little bit it's always exciting wrapping up those big chapters and yeah stuff like that and you yeah. just kind of hope that your your uh your endings land the way that you want them to you know i've 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 taken to the point of accepting whatever landing i get because i know the russian judge is always going to give me like a seven point five. Oh god no they're brutal. They're brutal. They're just brutal. They're just brutal. brutal. I could I could stick that landing and it's just not it's just not gonna come over right. So So both you and I are wrapping up like major chapters in our campaigns right now. Yeah, which feels nice. It feels Mm -hmm. nice. Although my brain immediately went to I'm not prepared for the physicalness of this. Oh crap! <laughs> <laughs> but you've helped me out. I well, we, we have some we have some miniatures and stuff, and we have enough crew that it's fine. Yeah, it's um, fine. amongst our friends, we have a collective butt ton of <laughs> uh, of of uh, terrain and miniatures and stuff yeah. like that. So yeah, really, all look, you know, all you got to say is just hey, any, anybody got one this, of these or this, these, yeah, or, or this or a few of these, yeah. and yeah, we'll we'll come together. We'll we'll make the story happen for you. It's fine. Yeah, um, it, it is nuts, Knox, that we have done this 113 times. Knox was just mentioning in our live chat, which you can join if you get on our Discord and join our Patreon. Uh, it's really not that bad. Uh, and you can chat with us live while we're doing these recordings uh, and listen to us live on MixLR. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to be a Patreon for that? No, that's that's totally available. Uh, but uh, yeah, 113 times. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, I get a, get a little... Uh, every time I read that number and it increments by one, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, it gets a little daunting, but at the same time, like, we still got stuff to talk about. Yeah. This this hasn't ended. So, speaking of things to talk about, uh, organic lore exposition. The word exposition always gets me on this part of it. So, let me ask you, let me start by asking you a question. Sure. Um, Have you ever read a book that, like, just jumps right in and just starts throwing, like, lore, like, words like buzzwords like vocabulary words at you yes um it, it just you 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 just end up reading the first chapter of it like three times because you have no clue what's going on they give you no context i i remember reading an isaac asimov book for the first time mm-hmm. and i had failed as a human and accidentally grabbed a book in the series i didn't realize it was in a series oh because okay, the naming yep. convention yep and i had grabbed like book two or book three and so these are established characters. This is established everything. Mm-hmm. And I just started reading it. I'm like, I have no idea about anything that's going on here. 
it makes no sense to me. Like, I went back, read the preamble, I'm like, and it didn't kind of expose it as a series mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm like, I don't know if I can read this. And then I just haphazardly be like, I don't know if I can get into this. And they're like, you can't get into that series or you can't get into that book of the series. I'm like, what? <laughs> series? Yeah, and I just, I was at a total loss at that point. Um, and for, so, yeah. It for, just... for me, it was Wheel of Time. Oh, yeah, you were saying that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I started off with uh, the first book of Wheel of Time, uh, The Eye of the World. Mm-hmm. And uh, it starts off with, uh, kind of kind of in media res, um, yeah. there is a, uh, uh, a, a prologue that takes place, I think, about like 3,000 years. If, uh, if if Sean is in the live chat, he'll be able to correct me on this one. Yeah. Um, takes place about 3,000 years, like prior to any of the, the events. Um, and it, uh, uh, it throws a lot of big words at you that you've never heard before. Right. Because right. you literally just started reading the book, like, like I Sedai and Sidine and the one power. Right. And, uh, Shaitan and, uh, introducing these characters and there, there's like madness going on so it's it's pure chaos you're not really sure what's happening and then chapter one starts just completely different characters completely like has seemingly nothing to do in fact you don't really actually understand what that inciting incident in the prologue has to do with anything for quite some time into the story until you get a full context for it and i remember um reading over it like probably three four times and just putting the book back on the shelf because I, yeah. like, I couldn't get past all the vocab, all the buzzwords of it trying to, like, hit me with lore but not teach me any of the lore, mm-hmm. you know? I There was another book that got me like that, and I, I wouldn't – like, now that I'm looking back on it, the feeling – it was a Tom Clancy novel. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And even though it's contemporary, uh-huh. and even though a lot of the, the, the basics of it, something – at the time that I was reading it – I did not understand the geopolitical stuff that it was referring to. I just, I'd not read into that. And so I'm reading about this and I'm going, none of this makes, why would we be doing this? What are we doing? Like, why, why is he involved in this? Who, why is an analyst involved with any, like, it just didn't add, like, the whole first chapter didn't add up at all. Like, why this conflict was going on and why he was getting pulled into the secondary discussion. And it was all based upon the preconception that you had to know that the U.S. was involved in the drug trade in South America heavily. Yep. At a very yep. specific time in history. Yep. And then it was based off of that stuff. And at the time, I was I was not familiar with it. I mean, we, we call that history, but right. in a storytelling sense, that's still lore. Yeah. You know? You know? And, and the same thing came in some ways for some uh, other things that I read, only because I only had a very light sampling of... of uh, some of the political history of uh, Eastern Europe, uh, European countries and Russia, mm-hmm. people would, you know, suggest these books to me that were about, you know, the czars and, uh, and of that time because I was talking about things with 7C and, I'm, and I had no reference. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. they just jump right into it and you're like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, excuse me, like, this is a great story, I'm sure, yeah. but I have no idea who the boyers are. <laughs> now, let me ask you another question then. Sure. Um, have you ever read a book that just started rambling on and on and on for like multiple pages about just the history of something and you find yourself at some point during that exposition asking yourself, how long is this going to go on and is this going to be on the test? Can I go back to Asimov? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, mean, effectively, a lot of a lot of the opening stuff on his series feels like that. It feels like you, you have to get this huge wealth of knowledge. 
Yeah, I mean, Asimov was hard sci-fi. But he had to explain it. But he, but he did have to explain it. And, and so, I mean, I think if you're reading hard sci-fi, you're kind of there for that. But yeah. at the same time, I think, you know... It's, it's, it still it touches a, on the same point. It's, it still touches on the same point. Uh, for for me, it was Lord of the Rings. Without a doubt, I can understand that. Uh, I I got um, couldn't I, get through I, the Cimmerillion. I mean, come on. I I loved the movies. <laughs> um, I absolutely love the movies because um, a lot of what would take up multiple pages of description was just background dressing. Yeah. In the movie. Yeah. And it was hyper specific, very accurate background mm-hmm. dressing. Yeah. But for me, like if you're reading the book, it's like four pages of describing what the architecture of you know of this building look like and it's like come on man you know well snow crash did the same thing for me snow snow crash you have to imagine was written in a time prior to the internet prior to vr prior to all that and it had to describe basically what a virtual chat room was what it looked like Mm -hmm. in high detail so literally like seven to eight pages are description of the guy's digital v- VR effectively chat room. Yeah, yeah. Because nobody had a freaking clue what that was. Well, and to be fair, Tolkien, I think, was the same thing. It was mm-hmm. like a good oh, product of his time. You, yeah. you can't just... you Like, it, to, Tol- Tolkien-esque was not a thing no. because Tolkien was not a thing. You Correct. Know, until Tolkien became a thing. Right. And even comics couldn't... You, you couldn't use it as a reference. Like, yeah, you had Conan, mm-hmm. but Conan wasn't anything referencing into that yeah. you had you you just didn't have the same type of presence in pop culture tropes yeah to be yes. able to to be assistive now we do and it helps and so you can kind of say orc or elf and people know what you're talking about Correct. when tolkien was writing these things he needed that so that amount of mm-hmm. description so i mean to be fair mm-hmm. to tolkien and to the author of snow crash i apologize i don't know neil stevenson neil stevenson my uh, god i just pulled that one out of my head whoa am i like off today uh you know <laughs> to, to, to be fair to them they were you know that that, that writing was a product of their time because they mm-hmm. were they were on the bleeding edge of their own genre indeed indeed um, i 100 percent agree on that but but the point we're kind of getting at because this is a show about tabletop role-playing games and not about books is that if i were sitting at J.R.R. tolkien's dm you know D D table and uh he started lore dumping the same way that he lore dumps in his books about an hour and a half into his opening monologue, I'd uh, politely excuse myself from his table <laughs> because uh, I, I would be falling asleep. It's a history class. It's a history class. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In, in in a fictional history. And so is is wonderful. And, and and to be fair, like I am also a big Wheel of Time fan. Uh, absolutely loved the series, but I had to get it through it on audiobooks because mm-hmm. I found the lore to be so dense that I needed I couldn't move at my own pace. I needed a narrator to move me at their pace. Correct, which again, we're doing tabletop. Yeah, That's so kinda, we so have there to remember. Yeah. So so all of these things add to this discussion today of what it means to do it organically and what to actually take from all of this media that were that that gets pressed upon us that T- tabletop is not a book. Mm-hmm. Tabletop is not a movie. Yeah. Tabletop is not a podcast. Thank you very much. Um, it is its own entry point, and because of that, you have to treat your lore and its exposition differently. As such, exactly. The closest thing I can tell you, and I'm going to put this at the beginning, and I'll reference it again and again. Uh-huh. Tabletop role playing is a sitcom. And I will come back to this multiple times. Okay. 
It is a sitcom. I'm going to love to hear this one. I'll, I'll keep re-referencing, but right. let's, let's start right. at books, because I think books is a great place to start, and what we can learn from them is a great thing. Real quick, Sean, in the live chat. Yo, says, yo. Did you know that Robert Jordan wrote seven Conan uh, the Barbarian books? Really? Oh, I did not know I that. I did not know Robert that. Robert Jordan, author of Wheel of Time. And Conan. Uh, apparently, and Conan. Which All right. I, I, makes sense from what I know of Conan. Yeah. That's interesting. That's interesting. So, cool. all right. So let's let's get into books and and what they don't do well, and definitely what they've taught us poorly. Right, 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 <laughs> right. Um, because even I will even blame the actual role playing books that we learned the game systems from. Yeah, taught us poorly. I, I mean, I I think I think one of the main problems is that you and I grew up um before a lot of the technology that we currently have was 100%. available yep. and. Because of the things that we had available to us at the time, um, we didn't we, 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 we carry on those habits through the technological age because we're too old to program a VCR at this point. Um, <laughs> That's an awesome way of saying it, but I agree with your statement. <laughs> so uh, I mean so I was, I was giving some thoughts too of like you know kind of how, how books you know books have taught us to plot, uh, to, to, to lore dump and some of the bad habits they've given us and stuff of like that. Um, in thinking about some a lot of the difference that tabletop RPGs have to them, um, and the first thing is like stories are interactive. You know, our tabletop stories uh, are are interactive and malleable. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not writing a book, and so you don't need to lore dump in the exact same way. You can do it little bit by little bit as it's relevant, as it's interacted with, rather than needing to set the scene for a reader. Correct. You know. Um, so you can you can kind of trickle your lore out and not need to dump it at all. One hundred percent. And I think that's that's probably one of the biggest tips that we can provide in this entire episode right here is just yep. make it bite sized. Yeah, and I, I again I'm going to start with my references for sitcoms uh-huh. and 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 general TV shows and what they taught well, and that is name a show that opens with a narrator explaining anything about the world that has been produced. In the last, I will say, 15 years. A TV show? Any TV show, sitcom, anything like that, that the first episode, first show, not the pilot, but the actual first episode, actually narrates or presents the world. Where you're not in media res the moment you get in. I kind of want to say Good Omens did it. It did. And you know why? Because it's a book. Because it's a (laughs) book. Okay, you got me there. <laughs> so anything else beyond that, and I literally think anything from the fantifical to the contemporary. Fantifical? Fantastical? I say fantifical because it's it's pure fictiony fictiony fantasy. Okay. So Buffy gotcha. is a good example. Okay. You know, when you stepped into that world, there was no question what was going on. Mm-hmm. Granted, oh, there was a movie to ride before that. Okay, fine. Let me shift to another one. Burn Notice. I love Burn Notice. Right. Uh, one of your favorite uh, TV shows uh, that you taught me about, which unfortunately I can't remember the name. Justified. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Opens in media res, and you know exactly what's going on. Yep. And that is one of the things to learn from, is that your world is only as big as it needs to be viewed. Mm-hmm. We'll step on from there. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the other the other major thing um, is that uh, 
your stories can feature many different types of media. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, uh, we are living in, and, and this is this is kind of what I was alluding to when I, I said that we, we were born in an age before a lot of these things were possible, and now we don't know how to program the, 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 the metaphorical VCR, uh, is because we, we, Rob and I, you know, started, what, storytelling in, what, the 80s, early 90s, um, and uh, uh, so a lot of, like, you know, we didn't have the internet as much back then we didn't have um tablet devices with high resolution uh-huh. uh photos able to be shown on them and, and whatnot like if we needed pictures we had to draw them photocopy them or photocopy them yep. yes uh photocopy. And, you know so yeah exactly i remember photocopying uh character sheets but i digress minis were important uh, yep uh, so nowadays though, um, you can do your storytelling as a multimedia presentation. Uh, you've got voice and text descriptions for, for, for your narration. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you can throw in music. Mm-hmm. You can sound, throw in sound effects. Without a doubt. Uh, you can show pictures of what things look like. Um, there is, uh, especially in nowadays in the age of 3D printing mm-hmm. uh, and services that will do that for you if you do not have one yourself, miniatures on demand. Yeah, I mean, you can, through uh, Etsy and some of the, even the 3D maker sites, mm-hmm. for 20 bucks you can literally get pretty much whatever you need. Yeah. And anything. Now, granted, 20 bucks is a lot to spend, but at the same time, it's custom craft. It's custom. If, if I need to have a Stonehenge, mm-hmm. I can order a Stonehenge. I yeah. don't have to try and piece it together through five different part kits and or try and make it out of foam if I'm not that crafty. I can just have it made for me. Yeah, And, exactly. and it's done. And speaking of crafty, um, you know, there, there's we didn't have YouTube back in the day. Not to turn this into a back-in-my-day discussion or anything yeah. like that, but, you know, we didn't have YouTube. We didn't have Black Magic Crafts. No. You know, we didn't have uh, DM Scotty and stuff mm-hmm. that showing us how to, on the budget, with, like, paper towel rolls and, and you know, 50-cent craft paints from Michaels, mm-hmm. uh, showing you how to throw together this Stonehenge that you want, you know? Um, and so it, a lot of this stuff has become very, very accessible, Uh and when you can just lay out a miniature and say this, this is what the thing looks like. Yeah. Uh, how much time did I just save you? Yeah. I mean, the old adage goes, a picture is worth a thousand words. And that is exactly where it comes down to, is if the the less you are physically describing and the closer you can get to either a trope or a legitimate image, mm-hmm. you can get the image, you can get the feel you can get the uh, the texture, if you will, of what you're trying to describe. Great. But added to all of that, which which you've done a great job painting, is the fact that not just you, but everyone has that relatively at their fingertips. Now, when you look at somebody who lives in Iowa mm-hmm. and you're, you're playing a game with them, instead of them not understanding what an Irish hill is, with old architecture, you know, an old castle on it looks like without presenting a book to them, mm-hmm. they can pull it up themselves. They can go look through it. Yeah. When you need to describe what Daedric Ruins looks like, it's literally a four-word and one-button press away. It's a two-word press, a Daedric Ruin. Well, <laughs> like, you, know. you might need to add other words, so depending on what you're actually trying to get across. Right, right, so. right, right. But but yeah, your, your, your point's well taken, though. Um is that it's, it's, it's a great tool to, to, to grab these things, even if your storyteller doesn't have them. Um, 
it's actually one of the big reasons why, like, I really loved using a VTT was because it actually forced me into a visual medium. When I'm sitting face to face with you, I usually lean on narration because mm-hmm. that's what I grew up knowing. You know, well, it's what we were taught how to do it. Exactly, it's a storytelling game, so I'm yeah. telling you a story. Right. Um. And, and it's 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 nice in person because you get to see. You know, like I'll, I'll, I like to prep miniatures and stuff like that. Sure. I'm, I'm the crafty DM. Mm-hmm. Um. But also, uh, you know, seeing people's expressions and I can gesticulate and have body language and such like that to embody my NPCs. And I like all of that. Mm-hmm. But what VTTs taught me, what uh, especially found, uh, Foundry VTT, was um, I got into the habit of using establishing shots. Yeah. And this is actually a thing that they do a lot, like you said, in TV mm-hmm. shows. Exceptionally so. Um so an establishing shot, for those of you who don't know the term, is um, watch any TV show, mm-hmm. and right before they, like at the very beginning of a scene change, they will show you like two seconds of the outside of the building. Uh, WandaVision did this a, a lot in, mm-hmm. in the Marvel stuff, is you'd always get an establishing shot of the area. Maybe, it, well, like when they were doing the uh, the scene end of, uh, of the um, uh, talent show. Mm-hmm. You got a you got establishing shots of the town, so you knew an event was going on in the town, right? And yep. then suddenly you were presented with the scene, the stage, the act, and everything else yeah. that was going on. And then so yeah. something changes in the scene, and we've got a shot, kind of a, a top down shot of the FBI camp outside of the the hex. Correct. And we know now with just seeing that for two seconds, okay, now we're going to be in the FBI camp, right? You know, yeah, or the the, the whatever the government agency was, the, right, the right, sword right. camp, yeah. So was. yeah, yeah. Um, you know what I mean, though. Uh, yeah. So, but but th- those are those are something they use all the time. So you mm-hmm. know, watch them in, and they'll even do it like uh, uh, Star Trek was big for it. Mm-hmm. You'd always see like a two second shot of the outside of the Enterprise. Yeah. When they come back from a commercial break, here's the Enterprise. Like we didn't know it was the Enterprise, but like they still put the establishing shot there. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Whether they were, are we in deep space? Are mm-hmm. we over the planet? Are we next to a bird of prey at a wide angle shot, nose right. to nose, you know? So, are like, we, even the ones that always would get me is when they're drifting sideways through mm-hmm. the shot with something leaking out of them. Oh my gosh, they're in peril. Yeah. Like, <laughs> but but it's an establishing shot. Yeah. Here we are in deep space and deep crap. Exactly. You know? Um, but to, to kind of bring that into like your VTTs and possibly even your, your tabletop game, if you have something like a tablet device or even mm-hmm. just a phone that you could show, bring, you know, pull something up on and yeah. show it around. Um, for instance, uh, when I, uh, opened the, the game where you guys, um, uh, were in the tavern, mm-hmm. uh, on your way to the village where you were going to be confronting the Poppy King. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I remember you, you actually stopped game for just a couple seconds to say that you, that was a really beautiful establishing shot. It really shot. was. It was a beautiful establishing shot. Um, but how much of that tavern did I have to describe to you guys? Zero. Yeah. Really? I mean, Zero. I, th- I think I wrote a couple lines about that it was warm and cozy. Yeah. Or something like that. You made it, you, you, you established our feelings within it. But as far as giving you an idea of what it looked like on the inside, though, all I had was a picture pulled up mm-hmm. and a little bit of like lighting animation over the over the f- yep. the, the fire sources in yep. the in the thing to get them to flicker a little bit. Yep. Um, and some sound effect. And some and some yeah some some music in the background. Mm-hmm. Um, that did all that lore dumping for me. Just having that picture. Yep. Literally worth a thousand words for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I that kind of thing has made a huge jump 
in um in our digital presentations. Now, mm-hmm. bringing that back to the physical table, we're doing, you know, we're bringing out our speakers again. We're presenting screens to our players and or minis to our players to kind of get that back around. Um, but it's that it's that general direct interaction that the players have to help capture their attention, hold their attention, and give them something that they can latch onto that is either a trope that they're already aware of and or an experience they're familiar with. Mm-hmm. You can't beat that. You can't beat it. You can't, can't beat, beat that. it at all. Um, one of the things that I was going to talk about with uh, specifically that cinema does well in this. Okay. Um, in the way that lore gets presented, um, you don't, ha- because of the situations, the way you lay things out, even if you're still describing, you don't have to go into heavy detail. A, a, a great thing that uh, cinema does is if it is something that is recognizably known, whether it's contemporary or historical. Mm-hmm. For instance, if I say you hear the the whopping engines of Huey gunships, helicopters coming in low over uh, over, uh, over a, ju- a thin, thick jungle with the red reddish golden sunrise before them and the sounds of Jefferson airplane music being blared out the side as one of the guy basically is slowly belt feeding his gun. I don't have to explain that you're probably over Vietnam. Yep. I, yep. I don't. I don't have to do that for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But if I present an image of that, I've done the same thing. Yeah. You know, there's a feel. There's a general edge to it that that all gets expressed because the trope and the contemporary and this is there. Again, I didn't have to explain much. Mm-hmm. I got all the points crossed. Uh Four gentlemen or four individuals in black suits step out of a vehicle in uh, uh, with black bags and start heading toward a bank. They pull ski masks over their head as the young driver thumbs wildly at his at the the steering wheel while he's left in the car. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't have to explain what's going on there. This is a heist movie. Correct. Yep. And there are three individuals and a driver. Okay, mm-hmm. we, we kind of know where things are going to go from here. Yep. It's contemporary. It's easy to find. These are the things that there is no frame of reference. There's no need for a narrator because we're in a contemporary setting. So you can back off all of the the required storytelling and give just a quick establishing shot, mm-hmm. the car, maybe the building of the bank, and you're done. You are now in heist mode. I don't have to explain the city, who runs it, who the mayor is, what time of day it is even necessarily. It's daytime. That's Mm -hmm. all that matters. You know they're going to break into the bank, and they're probably going to have a timer on that, and there's going to be things involved with that. Then you step to the next level of that, Mm -hmm. where you give a frame of reference. Traditionally, it's done with prologue in movies, where you give a very short pre-scene. And uh, Fifth Element did this. Mm -hmm. Um, Lord of the Rings did this in the movies. Uh, with Fellowship of the Rings, where you get the backstory in a quick, short lore dump, yeah, explaining everything yeah. through narration, and then immediately you're put into into story after that. And you, you have a pretty good idea of what's important, because um, it always presents the Chekhov's gun. Always. It gives you that one item that is going to be brought up exceptionally soon, and you already know it's important. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, uh, not that it's it's an arguable movie, but uh, Valerian, City of a Thousand Worlds, had direct narration at the beginning of mm-hmm. it. Um, the Hobbit had direct narration at the beginning of it. This can often lead to muddled openings. 
because there's too much to explain. That if visuals don't give you enough. Yeah, it, it, I, I feel like doing that is kind of like, you know, ca- kind of the cardinal sin of lore dumping because you've got no context for anything that you're about to learn. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you're going to internalize maybe 20% of it. Exactly. And so it often gets to a point where the rest of the movie is then forced to explain why any of that was important. Mm-hmm. How does this impact this individual? It's great on a rewatch, but you don't get a rewatch of a tabletop game. Correct. Correct. Now, on the other hand... If you've got something that gives you a lot more time to do it, like a TV series Mm -hmm. that is breaking down a book, Good Omens does a great job of it. Yeah. Because you get that refresh. I'll come back to the refresh that they do well. The last one, which is the most, uh, the the, the least used yet most uh, most effective Mm -hmm. is Opening Crawl. Star Wars does a great job of it. Mm-hmm. Everybody remembers the Star Wars crawl, whether they know it specifically or not. It's less than three paragraphs crammed into something that you're staring at the screen with powerful music behind it that literally paints the 50,000 foot overview or the, you know, you know, the, the, the several light year overview. You then bring it down to a level of what is going on in this scene. Mm hmm. Like, why is this scene important? And then finally, how are the characters attached to this scene? Yep. Three tiny paragraphs. Yeah, and it's it's in... less, I would say it's even less lore than it is just context. Correct. Well, the note, and I break it down a little later on here, sure, but sure, it does sure. it. Uh, Legend, the, mm-hmm. the, the old 1980s movie Legend, um, literally breaks down the entire world in like, I want to say a one minute mm-hmm. slow fade of text. With really nice music behind it. It's very simply done. It doesn't explain everything about the world. It explains the important parts of yes. the world. Yes. Um, and every single Warhammer 40k video game has pretty much five sentences that open it. Mm-hmm. Or less. In the grim darkness of the 41st century, there is only, only war. war. Th- that's it. Th- yep. I mean, th- that you know exactly what's going on. They even call it grim darkness. I yeah. love that. They're yeah. so honest and, about it. <laughs> and that's, that, that is the, the joy of being able to show and tell at the same time. You're presenting mm-hmm. that. And I've seen narrators who've presented their write-ups to their players that way. Mm-hmm. Just handed them a sheet of the important thing right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. that's great. That's a great way to get it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Fallout games. They, they do a lot of the same thing. That exactly. whole war, war never changes. Yeah, uh, you know the uh, we we got into really heavy into nuclear technology, and then people started fighting over resources, and then war broke out all over the place. China was jerks. We were jerks. Everybody was jerks. Nuclear war happened. And now we're here. Go. Yeah. And, and now our story begins. Exactly. Uh, another one that just came to us uh, was uh, um, David Lynch's Dune, um, where he, oh, like, the theatrical one is relatively short, but it's still minutes of lore dump to oh. try and get you into that world. I don't think I ever saw Dune all the way through. Like, not all in one setting. It was really weird every time I tried to watch it, so it was always kind of put me off of it. But I'm really excited for the new one. I, I'm excited for the new one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a love... For that 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 art style and that oh, intro, sure. sure. Yet it was necessary because of how important. And if you actually look at the text behind how long it took to read that, mm-hmm. it's really not that much text. No, there's just a lot of emphasis and impact that's being put through. It's basically just just a paragraph, you know. All right, so where are we at? 
Um, I think we're into uh, getting into, let's see here, the sh- more show than tell. Yes, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> cardinal sin number one, don't lore dump if you can do, if you can help it. Do not just sit there and explain things. Like we said earlier, like, short, short snippets, okay, just to contextualize what's about to happen, but, like, what you're trying to avoid is history lessons, you know, lectures, PowerPoint presentations, uh, not really things you want to, you want to do. No. Um, handing them the lore directly is the most boring way to do things and you will lose your audience. I guarantee it. N- not to mention, and I'm going to put this in the same thing. We're not telling you to either write, you know, write up a six page lore write up of your world and hand it to your players and say, read this. In the, in the, but that's, that's but nice. That's a, that's a primer, not a lore dump. Because Correct. You're not taking up game time with it. Right, but at the same time, don't always expect your players to read that. They they won't. They probably won't. They won't. They probably I, won't. I guarantee. It. I mean, you'll you'll get one person who reads it, one person who skims it, and the rest of them will will not. I I, I can guarantee it. Um, I mean, players typically want action. They want involvement. Um, and I guarantee you, they're not half as invested in the lore as you are. Right. You, as the writer of your story, care about the hows and the whys and the interactions and the who likes who and why, you know, this kingdom is at war with this other kingdom. Um, I guarantee most of the time, I would say 80, 80% of your player base is not concerned with any of that. Right. They kind of want to just know where the next dragon to kill is, mm-hmm. where the next princess to rescue is, Yep. you know. Uh, where the next barmaid to to flirt with is, yep, and they're not really concerned about the hows or the whys. Yeah, and one of the things that uh, Knox brought up as as I as I thought within this is, um, what about you know or at least as a question was what about presenting the lore from a different perspective, and and giving it to them in that direction maybe from you know uh, somebody else's uh, effectively like a child scribbling or something like that where it's not necessarily being narrated directly but indirectly within the the canon of the story itself and it you can still run the same risks we'll actually get to that yeah in in in, in just a little bit because that's 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 actually one of the best methods to do it is to make that lore interactable correct don't make it a lore dump that's just a different tone right i'm not going to sit here and explain to you that you know in the Marithic area queen you know saint alessia made a pact with akatosh that blah 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 blah. what i'm going to do is i'm going to show you what the effect of that pact was mm-hmm. and why it's relevant to our characters yep. and then if you want to know more about that history you can look it up you know exactly exactly um so uh, let's talk about the points that you want to hit yeah. And the points to kind of avoid. Um, Chekhov's gun is something we use a lot. And it, we'll re-reference it a ton more times than that. Um, Anton Chekhov came, is where the term comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea is that if you say in the first chapter there's a rifle hanging on the wall, in the second or third chapter it absolutely must go off. If it's not going to be fired, you shouldn't have put it on the wall. Yep. And that's the whole point is what the reference that we're trying to say there is if you're describing something of importance within the story, a, a point of reference uh, that is implicit and, and, and put forth, you need to make that needs to be part of the story. And yeah. anything else is relatively irrelevant. Yeah. If it's and if it is irrelevant, don't bother sharing it. Yeah. 
we don't need to know, you know, what the fringe, uh, why why the fringe on the shawls of this holy woman is is gold and not silver. Correct. If it's not going to matter to the plot, it's probably not worth sharing. Now, on the other hand, if they're like, well, are there ranks among these among these holy women? Yeah. In fact, you notice the ones that are bossier, that are you know seem to be more in charge, where have gold trim on their on their shawls. Mm-hmm. Now it's relevant, yeah, because someone is in, getting involved with it. But like, they're engaged in that section of the story. Describing NPCs, like, yeah. Typically, it's not really a terribly important thing. Yeah, and and one of the things that I I love is if you go through media that you know, mm-hmm. especially ranks. Ranks are really important. Um, Listen carefully to how, what's important to either the writer or the storyteller if it's if it's being done in TV or movie, and you will find that oftentimes the the better stories, the ones that get in and keep you engaged in those stories, will tone down names and titles to something simplistic. Mm-hmm. You won't get the full backstory of who this person is and everything else. All you know is that they're Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. If you want to know more than that, sure, go digging. That's Ooh. fine. You might find Admiral something. Sounds pretty important. Yeah, but you all know? you know is that he is at the top of the chain. Yeah. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. You know, this person just went from captain to another rank, you know, or he was demoted. You're like, okay, he moved up or down, but okay, that's all I know. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. That's yeah. all that's important. On the other hand, when you start getting location names... Or who's working at a location, you know that that's going to be important. Yeah. That yeah. person's going to come back. That person is either going to be dead and the reason for their death is going to be very important. So always look for those in the stories and remember that as you're presenting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Knox asks, uh, do you ever just not make them roll for lore things? I mean, like, just take one of their skills and just say, well, because of your hunter skills, you notice, etc." Sure. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Absolutely. Do it all the time. Uh, in fact, it's 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 one of the great ways um, we talk about being a fan of your players, um, and it's one of the biggest ways to make characters feel important within their places in the story, and to go back on the things that they felt was important about their character. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. If I, if I wanted to give my character a, a rank seven cooking skill, and all we do is combat, Sarah might bring up spices yeah, and other I'm things like importantly, you notice because of your keen nose for cooking that this and this and this is going on which leads you to believe such and such is happening yeah because this dish is only cooked in these situations suddenly i've given him a lore dump and i've moved the story forward giving him important you know details yeah. on what how the movie stories move forward i've maybe guided him towards the MacGuffin because he noticed a smell because Rob was cheeky enough to put a rank seven cooking skill on his on sheet. Yeah, and that can be done for any skill level. It, and what's interesting is is that if you have players who are very adept in combat, mm-hmm. it means that they learned that somehow, and that learning teaches them other things. Exactly. Besides how to stab people really well, they can also see wounds and know things about them. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and bringing in characters' ethnicities and stuff that mm-hmm. um is is really great. You know. Yeah. Be, be, because your character is a Nord from Skyrim, you notice X, Y, or Z. Yep. You know, because you're used to the the the, the blowing sands of elsewhere, mm-hmm. you notice X, Y, or Z. Yep. You know. Yep. So always, always prime yourself to know your players. Mm-hmm. It will always endear them more to your story. Even the ones who are not necessarily there for everything, they're just there for the combat, you can still bring them into the story more and give them their opportunities to roleplay with their character and, and show roleplay. 
and present it and present through the lore mm-hmm. and through that presenta- presentation. So one of the things that I, I wanted to bring up was that uh, like in session zero, we often are doing kind of our sales pitch as yeah. well. We're, we're, we're trying to sell not only the system, but the game, everything about it. And a lot of times people will go into detail about their expansive setting with their 12 races and their 15 countries and their two factions and their expansive continent and 12,000 years of history and lore down to the sense used as a language between the the lupine race. Great. That's amazing. Shove, shove that in the back of That's your head. That's amazing, Mr. Tolkien. Thank that, you for writing all of that. That is not important to the actual world that these people exactly. are going to be playing in. We are going to be telling a story about heroes and explorers in the fighters guild or the mages guild yeah that is what you need to know yeah you know exactly exactly and so one of the things that uh again tv shows do really really well Mm -hmm. is you don't know anything beyond the visual range of what you are presented that's it so golden girls you didn't know about anything else that was going on in their lives until somebody stepped in or a object was brought into the house or they were in a new scene. Mm-hmm. That was it. That was it. That house could have been freaking anywhere. Anywhere. Shady Acres literally could... Do, do we know if it was in Florida or California or or where? Did, did it matter? Couldn't no. Couldn't tell you. Didn't matter. Couldn't tell you. Until there was a tropical storm coming in and the establishing shot showed the Gulf of Mexico, it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. It did not even remotely matter. And even then, that gives it like five different states it could have been in. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the whole point of it is is that it isn't relevant to the story. It isn't... There's nothing there for the players to attach to. Yeah. So presenting something that is 6,000 miles away or 5,000 years ago in history unless it actually has a direct reference to the story, is just you exalting what you wrote mm-hmm. in a book. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it, it muddies the waters a lot for your players, too, because it gives them so many things to focus on mm-hmm. that it starts to you know leave them kind of wondering, like, wh- what are the important details here? Because I'm only, I'm only mentally able to hold on to five things here. Mm-hmm. And you've given me 20. Which are the five important ones? Right. You know? Right. And I am a terrible person at doing this. I always want to present more. I always want to tell what the world is in my head. Mm-hmm. I want to. I want to show all the rich detail and and tell you guys about all the little machinations of the universe that exist. But it doesn't tell the story. Yeah. And so I always have to pull my hands back and be like, "Okay, what do you, what are you guys working on right now?" <laughs> Just ease off. Yep. And it's 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 a wonderful thing to to write it all up and to to have those, but save it. Oh, it is, it is. And I mean, I mean, it's then that's not to say don't write any of this stuff. No, at all. no. I mean, the the great thing about as a storyteller about writing all this backstory and all these these interactions and such like that is that it gives you as the storyteller um, what all the cause and effect should be in your mm-hmm. world. Okay, so you don't need to tell them that Kingdom A is at war with Kingdom B for X amount of political reasons and 3,000 years worth of history of going back and forth. That's not necessarily, you know, beyond Kingdom A hates Kingdom B and Kingdom B hates Kingdom A, not really something they need to know. Yeah. But if they come across, you know, uh, an artifact of Kingdom B and are like, hey, we're in Kingdom A right now, what does this mean? You will have that answer. Because now it's suddenly relevant because you know three thousand years worth of history in your head. 
Yeah. You've written it all. Yeah. And you'll have that answer off the top of your head of like, well, what will happen if we do this? Well, obviously this will happen. Mm-hmm. Because... Players, suddenly your character, your players are all like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that was going to – like, oh, now they're all excited. Yeah, and, and, and you look like a boss yeah. because you just came up with that off the top of your head. And they're like, wow, yeah. you've got everything planned out, don't you? Actually, I do. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of my favorite things in in some games is when players are like, you know, you've been on this ship and this, you know, you know these two nations are fighting. And you're like, why are they fighting? Well, as best as you can guess, it has something to do with you know uh, political borders. Well, I've got some history. All right, roll it. Mm-hmm. So now you get to present, you get to give the reason why for the last thirteen episodes of this game there have been raiders, pirate raiders, along the shore attacking the king's ships and this opposing ship mm-hmm. these opposing ships that have been coming in and you know uh, besieging the country which you've been not part of that's not your part of your campaign but it's it's around you at all times now suddenly you've got some context for it and everything starts to click together yeah because it wasn't important until now yep you know yep exactly exactly uh one of the big ones that i like to do um is and this is kind of what uh what Knox touched on earlier in the live chat is making sure that your npcs are using lore appropriate language yes um and this is kind of where you start making your uh your lore dump interactive mm-hmm. because you're not telling them that like so in this world, Atronox or, or elementals are all known as Atronox, and the Daedra are are all you know basically what you know as demons. Like I could explain that to people, but isn't it much better to be like, oh my god, that you know, uh, the 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 wizard summoned a a flame Atronox that was just tearing you know through this place. Kind of in context, especially you know, as anybody who's played D anD D more than once, mm-hmm. a fl- okay, the wizard summoned it. It's a flame presumably creature of some sort oh it's a fire elemental yeah okay i, I get it but you're just calling it a flame atronach yeah so if i said a frost atronach you'd be like oh i get it okay that's an elemental made out of ice i see what you're doing there yeah and now because i'm describing this to you using these lore words and giving you the context for them and and it's interactive too so yeah. even if you don't get it you can be like i'm sorry what and 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 an atra what Right. An atronach, you know, uh, a, a being made of flame summoned from oblivion. Oh, oh. a fire elemental. Summoned creature, fire elemental. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Gotcha. You know, um, and, and, you know, don't don't punish your players for not getting the lore. Don't be like, what do you mean you don't know what an atronach is? You know, lean into it. Yeah. You know, it just just let, let, them, let them have it. Let them learn organically. Yeah. I, one of the things about uh, Shadowrun is all of the context that's in it. Like, you have stuffer shacks, uh-huh. which are 7-Elevens. Yeah. Just, let's just be honest. That's what they are. Yeah. But they're called stuffer shacks. So, eventually, your players start using those terms. They start using the slang. They start connecting with the terms of that society as if it's contemporary to them. Saying things like frag and drek Drek and and chummer. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. And the more you use it, the more they, the more the feel, the more you get connected with the universe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This is is why when you're looking at someone else playing a video game like Dota or, or Overwatch and they're talking about goat and in terms that are within that bailiwick, of genre Mm -hmm. you're confused at first Mm -hmm. but until you embed yourself into it a little bit and start getting connected to the terminology sudden and then suddenly those things start making sense yeah Yeah, lanes make make sense to you because it's the the route that you have to defend or attack upon Mm -hmm. oh okay now i know what i'll use the term lane now that's why we call it the three road highway that's right that's right so all of this adds up to putting yourself 
and your players into the world. Yep. So. And then you get to uh, not only just, you know, uh, giving lore dumps through NPCs and such like that. Right. Using lore appropriate, you know, such. But then making your your encounters lore appropriate as well. Right. And this is where you take lore and you make it interactive. Right. Okay. Um, and it's, it's honestly one of the best ways to experience it because you internalize it a lot more when you're interacting with it mm-hmm. than when you're just hearing it yep. and like kind of like a lecture, you need to take notes. Yep. Um, even with pictures, if I showed you a picture of it, you might remember a little bit more about it, but unless you've interacted with it in some way, you're still going to forget a bunch of the details. A bloody note is a great physical interaction. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's written in the pen. It's hard to read. There's blood stains on it. You can hand it to the group, and they can physically be part of it. And a, a, a prop is great, but what then does it mean to the characters? Correct. Okay. So is that bloody note? Um, for instance, how I, how I introduced the Dark Brotherhood to you guys. Yep. Um, was uh, I had this this character who was a murderer, uh, murdered an innocent man, mm-hmm. um, and. I gave you his journal mm-hmm. and uh, it was just some pages that I had written yep. up and stuff like that detailing how he was plotting to kill this man and how he went through with it and such like that and how a mysterious note showed up tucked into his journal or something like that. And I had created like it was folded up with a black hand right on print it. on yep. it and said, we know mm-hmm. anybody who knows Elder Scrolls knows this note, you know? Yeah. Um, and it would be one thing if I was like, you guys find this note. But it was another thing where I contextualized it around the fact that the moment he murdered somebody, he got this note, mm-hmm. you know, and because you were involved in the story yep, and you were, you know, all your personal, your characters were personally involved, it then meant something to you, yep, you know, so, um, let's see, I'm just, I'm just trying to see if there's there's I, some stuff that we want to squeeze I know, we, in. We wrote We've got so some much great stuff. questions. <laughs> oh, one other thing that I want to throw in before we get too far yeah. out of this was um, we're all busy people. Uh-huh. It is easy for us to lose sight of what's important. And one of the things you do exceptionally well is recaps. Oh, yeah. TV shows love to do this. Last time. Previously you know. on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And those kinds of things, although sometimes they do it literally at the beginning of the cut after going to commercial, which is terrible if it's in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't, just let, keep keep going. Keep rolling, you know. Um, but doing the recaps at the beginning for continuations is a great way of bringing the lore in that's important. Again, representing the Chekhov's yep. gun. Yep. And then letting them know where they're at exactly, and that's it's it's another great place to start dropping your um your your lore words, you know, yep. like Atronach and Daedra and stuff like that, because yeah. they may not remember those words in in the heat of the moment, but they remember the events that happened. They remember yeah. a fire creature ripped apart some sorcerer's you know yep. a, a, a tower. But when you're like, and then the flame Atronach destroyed the tower, they're like, oh, I remember that happening. Yep. Atronach, that's the word I was forgetting. Yep. And remember to, to add any additional flavor in there mm-hmm. as appropriate, but don't overflavor your food. Don't go into a high detail about the weather and the date and time and in season and location and slowly get down to the minutia of the flies buzzing around. That's not important. It's it's pretty. It's poetic. It's poetic. Let's let's get going. Yeah, players want to play the game. Yeah. So, 
All right, we do have some good questions. We do have some great questions. I want some of these questions in there. Let's start at the bottom, work our way up. Grab one. All right. Um, Arcane Asylum said, at what scale is it appropriate to limit a lore dump to? When when done naturally, like PCs doing research. Uh, the PCs doing research is always the tough one because you want to you want to be a fan of your player, mm-hmm. right? And if they're putting the work in to learn the lore, in, especially doing it in character, like making a research role or something mm-hmm. like that for it, um, you definitely want to reward uh, their time, their effort, and their interest. Yeah. Um, by giving them something to show for it, and this is it's a great place to be able to just lore dump right to their faces without having to dress it up with all the different stuff that we just talked about, because they're literally saying, I read it out of a book. What does the book say? So this is the way I always try and think about it. I don't always present this way, but this is the way I think about it. A player, when they make a role, if it's successful, will get the information that is important. Yes. Focus yes. on the important. So for instance, I will give you, in off the top of my head, a good role. So let's say the players are trying to get information on a keep. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm going to do research on when this was built and see what I can find. So let's say target number is, you know, 15, right? Player makes a 15. Excellent. The keep is an old keep and was rebuilt uh, uh, about 55 years ago. Okay, so if it's an old keep, it has, you know, it has access points that are are probably underneath it, uh, but probably not a full sewer system. Correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Solid, easy lore dump, very simple, got what they need is precisely. Sure. Okay, now they roll it again, you know, the same roll happens again, they roll a 19. Okay, do I expound on my lore dump into useless? No. I expound specifics. It is an old keep, was rebuilt 50 years ago by Carrard de France. Now, Carrard is a Frenchman, uh, and uh, from that area specifically, they incorporated aqueducts. Mm-hmm. Those aqueducts come in from the east side and are exceptionally important to the full functionality of the keep. Yeah. Oh, yep. Okay, so they're exceptionally important. They're an access point in the east wall, probably guarded. Okay, yeah. great. Now they make an exceptional role. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Not only do I let them know about the aqueducts, but I also let them know that they're under repair. Mm -hmm. And the repairmen who are involved in that process are not French. They're locals. And every morning, there is a work crew for the masonry. So now they've gone through. It's a keep. They have an access point and... They now know how they could possibly get in as workmen. When there's a shift change. Correct. So... Your lore dump can be organic and can give you directly what you need. But I've just explained a lot about that keep in a very short period of time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but kept it very to the point. Now, do, you, do your players want more flavor than that? Let them have it. Mm-hmm. But try and always keep the focus on what's the most important thing that they're getting out of it. Uh, the other thing, too, you can do is, is if they are seriously interested in a lore dump and they mm-hmm. want to know the history and stuff like that, but you don't want to take up the game time with it, you can drop the most important details on them. Exactly. And then be like, see me after game. I'll, I'll explain everything, all the context. I'll give you a lot stuff. more context. And but, but the important stuff is A, B, and C. The other thing, too, so that is remember that. Bring Jive, it back around. Jive, put it into an adventure. Note. Yep. 
Let them re- be rewarded by it. Yes, exactly. Make it relevant. Grab another one. All right. So Overwatch asks, um, how do you best convey the internal logist- logical consistency of your world building to players during exposition? How do you give them not only the who, what, why, when, and where, um, but also understand the underpinning of how and can thus better operate in the world that you build? Um, it's difficult to give them everything like that without getting into the boring stuff. Um, I think, again, it's just important to distill it down to the most important, functionable, actionable points. Mm-hmm. And then if if they then have questions of like, well, wait a minute, why why are we constantly being raided by barbarians from the north? Well, okay, now I've got a direct question. I can give you a direct lore answer. Mm-hmm. But the important, the important point was you are getting raided by barbarians from the north. Yep. If you want to wonder about why, that's up to you. So I'm going to go back to Star Wars A New Hope scroll. It is a period of Civil War. Rebel spaceship, uh, Civil War. Rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base have won their first victory against an evil galactic empire. That's the first paragraph. That is dense. That is information dense. Right. Yeah. But I've just given you a complete world overview at a 5,000 foot. Next, mm-hmm. during the battle... Rebel spies managed to steal secret plans to the Empire's ultimate weapon, the Death Star, an armored space station with enough power to destroy an entire planet. Okay, I've just given you the target, the Chekhov's gun, handed it to you on a silver platter. I've given you the setting, the theme, and the feel of what the characters will be encountered with. Finally, pursued by the Empire's sinister agents, sinister... Princess Leia races home aboard a starship, custodian of the stolen plans to save her people and restore freedom to the galaxy. Oh, so the, so the galaxy is not free currently? They're sinister people. Okay. She's the one with the plans given to her by spies. She's a custodian of this. Mm-hmm. Tells us well, a lot. We know, we know everything that is going on, and literally we've done it in effectively... Three sentences. Three sentences. Yeah. Dense sentences, but well done, well-crafted sentences. Yeah. That is beautiful and to the point. That's great. All right, can we, can we squeeze this last one? We can try. Quick? Go for it. All right, so Knox in the Box asks, uh, with the goal of being uh, to make the info dumping more character interactive, what's a good way to approach narratively changing how players' skills and spells work when conveying info? Ooh, flavor um, change. Yeah, so actually flavor change is actually a very easy and very great thing to do. Um, so like, I talked a lot about like the word Atronach, how it basically just means elemental in the Elder Scrolls system. Right, right, right. Um, but also like I do that with uh, the word Magicka. Yeah. You notice I never say magic. It's you say always magica. magica yep. Because that's what the word for it is in the system. And so it's by by describing things I mean, effectively, all of your your your, your rules are just things that happen. They're just rules, you know. So when I roll the dice, it says that, you know, targets A, B, and C take two D six fire damage. Okay, that's fine. Um that's all the rules mechanics. I can describe that any way I want. Right. And that's one of the reasons why systems like Savage Worlds and GURPS actually work so well. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, there are systems that have realized this and present to you all of your um, all of your rules in a generic way mm-hmm. so that you can flavor them to whatever setting you want them to be. You want to tell weird West, you know, magical Wild West stories? Mm-hmm. Cool. Do it. Um, your, you know, all of your spells and your lingo and your things like that will, will 
be flavored a certain way. Without a doubt. But ultimately, whether I'm slinging a a fireball or a blast of energy or um, congealed darkness from the shadow fell at you, the end result is a blast against a single target that takes 2d6 damage. Yeah. And you flavor that with whatever words are lore appropriate. Yep. Whatever descriptors are lore appropriate for you as you want. My whole take on it is, and this is where things get to, is when you change how the functionality works. Mm -hmm. Meaning you add an effect, or you change the way an effect works, or you give something that adds an effect. Especially with games that are very tactical and have specifics. For instance, if I'm doing divination with somebody, like Mm -hmm. they do divination, and it specifically says that it gives them a riddle almost or mystical flavor mm-hmm. of the thing that it's it's not giving them a direct representation it's giving them something historical and a reference okay so now i have to come up with some kind of reference there if i choose to then give them a full vision of the past have i defeated the purpose of that spell if i change the way it functions that's what you have to be careful of yeah. if i make yeah. a fireball suddenly now ignite everything on fire within an 180-foot radius for no explainable reason, Uh uh-oh, now I'm a little bit more in trouble. Mm -hmm. Now I've got to be careful. So always be mindful that you're not adding effects that will alter the universe unless it's irrelevant to the system. Yeah, Gauge it to the system. And that's and that's where your potential problems with unbalancing come in is it's just just making sure that at the end of the day, no matter how you describe it narratively, it's going to come down to the thing. Um, so, like those of you who are who are Critical Role fans, uh, uh, you you watched uh, if you watched it all uh, Critical Role season two, campaign two, I suppose, um, you'll see a, a party with two clerics uh, in the party. Uh, Caduceus Clay, who is a nature uh, death uh, death domain cleric, or sorry, grave domain cleric. And uh, Jester Lavore, who is a trickster cleric, and uh, they cast a lot of the same spells, but they have far different trappings to those spells. Um, Jester, whenever she casts her divination spells, the the traveler comes to her and like takes her by the hand and lifts her ethereally up into the sky, and they soar through the air and go to wherever the target of what they're scrying on is. Whereas Caduceus meditates and nature comes to him and a warm breeze blows when when the answer is affirmative or or a chilly breeze brushes across his skin when the it's answer is flavor. negative yeah 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 it's all but it's all just divination right in the end it's still the same effects exactly exactly and that's and that's really what we're coming down to so uh yeah. i hope that really helps answer it so next week we're going to be talking about conflict resolution at the table yeah a little, so little deeper than where we were at on the previous topic we talked a little bit about like player versus you know or sorry, character work versus character sort yep. of thing this is more player versus player. player so you know we're we're not again we're not therapists we're not there but we're gonna try and handle it as best because i think it's important right now especially in a time when we're all just coming out of being a little bit a agitated. little stressed out and a little traumatized so, so you can find us on twitter at st underscore conclave on instagram at st underscore conclave on mixlr on wednesday nights at 7 p.m eastern at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conflape you can also find uh, a link uh, to our Discord, on our Twitter, and on our website at storytellerconclave.com. We would love to have you join us. Uh, you can also find our link to our Patreon there where you can become part 
of our storytelling. I want to give a big uh, shout out, as uh, I mentioned, to our Patreon members, Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. Thank you so much for Thank you. supporting us month after month and helping us keep uh, keep doing this. Uh, our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is only the, uh, sorry, Beyond the Warriors by Gee Frog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com. And our outro music, Only Our Footprints in the Sand, by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. We'd like to thank our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for supporting us through all this. All of our friends who have been at our tables and have helped us through all of this lore dump that we've had to give them over the years. And you, our listeners, we love you very much. We love you. Good night. Good night.